Well, good morning. My name is Adam Hamilton, and it's a joy to have a chance to be with you today and an honor, and I am very excited to have a chance to celebrate with you uh, the installation of your new senior pastor. But I've got to tell you, it's a bittersweet moment for me because uh, as you have brought him here, uh, we have lost a very dear friend in Kansas City, in fact, one of my very best friends, and it's really hard to see Julie go. But uh, we... <laughs> We understand that uh, this had to happen so Glenn, you could come here. You know, I was really working very hard to convince Glenn that this was not God's will for him to come here. I was, uh, I was talking to him regularly about, you know, some of the challenges that might be here in this community in Columbus and why he should stay in Kansas City. And, and uh, as I was doing that, I said, why don't you put me down as a reference for uh, First Community Church? And he said he did, but Jenny, I never, Virginia, I never received a telephone call. I had prepared a list of some of his shortcomings, and, uh, but I, I never had a chance to share them. Um, truly, I'm excited for Glenn to be here, and I was praying for your search committee and for you as a congregation, uh, for you to discern God's will. And I was praying for Glenn the same, that if this was God's will, as hard as it is to say goodbye to a friend and not get to go out to the movies or hang out or go to his house and have a cookout, uh, I would celebrate the fact that he was where God needed him to be and where Julie needed to be. And uh, they both felt this, and you as a congregation felt this, and I celebrate that today. And I'm grateful both for my wife and I uh, to be able to celebrate what's happened in the lives of our good friends. I once was speaking to an executive pastor of a large church down in Texas, and I asked him, tell me about your senior pastor. And he said, here's what I can tell you about my senior pastor. The people who know him the best respect him the most. And I can tell you that's true about Glenn Miles. The people who know him the best respect him the most. That's not always true of pastors. Sometimes when you really get to know them, you find yourself disappointed in what they're really like. But that's not the case with Glenn Miles. Now, in the time that remains, I'd like to, in, for my sermon, I'd like to take a few minutes to talk to you about Moses and his story and the passage we heard read just a moment ago. I had an opportunity last year to travel with a film crew across Egypt and to retrace the story of the Exodus as it's described in the Torah and, uh, and then to prepare a book on that, a book called Moses, which just came out a couple weeks ago, uh, Moses the Reluctant Prophet. And I'm choosing for the material for today's message, material that's found in chapter four of that book, <clears throat> excuse me, so here's what happens. One day, while the Israelites were camped out at Mount Sinai, and I'd remind you that they had been delivered from slavery in Egypt. Moses had been the heroic leader. He led them through the Red Sea. They had come to the Mount, uh, Mount Sinai, the mountain of God. And uh, Moses is leading them, and he's there for not quite two years with the Israelites. He goes up and down the mountain uh, to meet God. He brings down the Ten Commandments. And, and then he's trying to lead the people. And uh, he's their newly called senior minister, if you will. And uh, in Exodus 18, 13, we read what happens next. Now, part of what we read before that is that, uh, is that Moses' father-in-law had come to Mount Sinai to see and check up on his daughter and his son-in-law. And, and truth be told, they was, he was really there to see the grandkids. But, um, <laughs> but he's watching Moses, and he's seeing how Moses is, you know, from the beginning of the day to the end of the day, he is uh, meeting with people and trying to make every decision and, and, and trying to be involved in everything that's happening there. And he's, uh, we read this in, Moses, in Exodus 18, 13. The next day, Moses sat as a judge for the people while the people stood around Moses from morning until evening. Right, they're lined up waiting for a decision from Moses. And he's trying to do everything he can to be the best leader he can be. And Jethro, seeing this, becomes the first management consultant in human history. And this is what he says to Moses. What you are doing isn't good. 
you'll end up totally wearing yourself out, both you and these people who are with you. The work is too difficult for you. You can't do it alone. Now listen to me and let me give you some advice. And here was the advice. Look among all the people for capable persons who respect God. They should be trustworthy and not corrupt. Set these persons over the people as judges for the people at all times. They should bring every major dispute to you, but they should decide all the minor cases themselves, and they will share your load. All these people will be able to go back to their homes much happier. And you recognize, of course, the advice that he's giving him. It's delegation, right? This is what every management consultant teaches every CEO, every senior management person, is you've got to figure out how to delegate. You've got to raise up people, and your job is to equip them to be able to do the work which is exactly what Paul says in his epistle to the, efficient, uh, to the Ephesians. The work of the pastor is to prepare God's people to do the work of the ministry. Now, you call your pastors here uh, senior ministers. In our tradition, we call them pastors, shepherds. He's both a shepherd and a minister. And minister is a servant, and he may be the senior minister, but you all are the ministers, right? We know this in our church, in your tradition, you know this, that you are the ministers of the gospel. Your senior minister is meant to both be your servant as well as to be God's servant, as well as to prepare and equip you to serve effectively in the world. Ministry expands and explodes when we let the lay people be the ones who are doing most of the ministry. Now, he's going to be working really hard. I know he's a hard worker, and he's going to work really hard for you. But he's going to be used by God to prepare you to the work of the ministry. I remember when we began Church of the Resurrection 27 years ago, it was my wife and I and our two kids, and pretty soon we had 100 people, and then we had 200 people, and then 300 people, and the church continued to grow. And there came a certain point where I felt like I was totally overwhelmed with the job. I was putting in 70 hours a week. I couldn't put in any more hours. I was missing my kids' stuff, and I thought, and I'm, I'm failing at what I'm doing. Every Sunday when we came, to, came time for the pastoral prayer, the prayer of confession, when I prayed silently, it was, God, I'm sorry I failed again as a pastor this week. Please forgive me for not being a better pastor. And I had the chance to meet with an older sage in our denomination, the United Methodist Church. And I said, look, I feel like I don't know what's going on anymore. I feel like there's so much happening. And he said, Adam, if you know everything that's going on in your church, you don't have enough going on. And your job is to let it go. You have to decide, is this your church or is it God's church? And if it's God's church, you have to let it go and let, let God do through the people of God what God wants to do. And I would say in this congregation, this is not Glenn's church. You know that because you just called him to be your senior minister. It's also not your church. It's God's church. And the question is, what does God want to do through you in this community? And your task then is together to work to see that happen. At Church of the Resurrection, there are a host of things that we do uh, in terms of lay people being in ministry. One of those is what's called congregational care ministry. We have 150 people whose job is to call the hospitals, and they visit everyone in the hospital. If you're in the hospital at Resurrection, you're going to be seen four or five times during that, that uh, period, and you're going to have a lot of lay ministers who are coming to see you. We deliver coffee mugs to every first-time visitor on Sunday afternoon after they've shown up on Sunday morning. And that's all done by lay people who are showing up at the door of someone's house and saying, hi, I don't want to come in. I just wanted to say thank you so much for worshiping with us today. We really hope you come back. You know, they don't stop and say, if you were to die tonight, do you know beyond a shadow of a doubt you'd go to heaven? They just, they just say, we hope you come back. We're really glad you came. Yeah, and I think about the, the 150 people who are tutors for inner city children in our community and the thousands of people who volunteer to make worship happen every month and so many others, and what they have said is the refrain that Moses, in essence, said to God when God called him, here I am, send me. Here I am, send me. I wonder, will you say that? When God is calling you, or will you wait for your pastors and your staff members to do the work of the ministry? 
Because here's the, the wonderful part, is when you start doing the work of the ministry, which I know many of you are already doing, you find what you were made for, right? So it's going to require all of you to help this church be everything God wants it to be in this community. Now, I want to mention that Moses called 70 elders. This was the beginning of the Sanhedrin. He called 70 elders, and he also had his brother Aaron and his uh, sister Miriam. And so together, they were going to lead the people of God. But then what you read when you read in Exodus and Numbers, this new theme that comes up while they're out in the wilderness, and what happens is the people begin to grumble, grumble against them. Now, this is a persistent theme. Ten times in Exodus and Numbers, we read how the people grumbled against Moses and Aaron. Over and over and over again, they're grumbling against Moses and Aaron. Now, part of the reason why they're grumbling is because they don't like change. Change is not something we like. I don't know how you feel about change. I used to think I love change. I thought change is my middle name. I love change. And then one day, a couple of my staff members came and told me about three changes we needed to make at the church, and I gave them ten reasons why we couldn't make those changes. And suddenly, I had this insight. I only like the changes I initiate. I really don't like the changes anybody else initiates. Now, this is problematic because the world is changing so fast. Things are changing so quickly, and if we're not willing to change, we're going to die. That's a reality. You change and innovate, and you improve constantly, or you're going to die. And I had a chance to see that yesterday when I went to, is it the North Campus? We're at the South Campus here. When I went to the North Campus to see where the new building's gonna go and to see some of the plans, and I thought, here's a church that understands how important it is that you change, innovate, improve, or die. Right, and you're gonna have to do things around this campus. Now, this is the South Campus. The South Campus. There's gonna have to be changes that are gonna happen around here over time, you know, that, that are things that are critical, because here's the thing. What reached baby boomers is not gonna reach millennials. So if you decide it's okay not to reach your grandchildren, then keep doing the same things you've always done. But the people who really are servants and ministers understand that I have to change some of the things that I really like in order to connect with a generation that I hope comes to follow Jesus Christ. Some church is going to reach them. The question is, is it going to be yours or someone else? And that requires that we're willing to embrace change, but that's a really hard thing to do. So when Moses is you know, leading them through the wilderness and he's promising them, hey, there's a promised land and it's gonna be awesome and it's different than Egypt and I know all you know is Egypt, but the promised land is gonna be really great and they just keep grumbling and grumbling. They grumble, they don't like the food, they don't like the accommodations in the wilderness and if you've been to the Sinai, you can understand why they grumbled so much. It is, <laughs> we walked across it, it's a horrible place to think about living, but, but here's what we read, Exodus 16 2, the whole Israelite community complained against Moses and Aaron in the desert. And you'll remember Moses' response, he goes out to the Lord. He goes out to pray by himself. And, and I promise you, Glenn is going to have a few of these moments here uh, at uh, First Community Church. Moses said to the Lord, why have you treated your servant so badly? Why did you call me here with these people? Why haven't I found favor in your eyes? And you have placed the burden of all these people on me? I can't bear this people on my own. They're too heavy for me. If you're going to treat me like this, God, just kill me now. That's actually a little humor there. Uh, <laughs> I'm pretty sure the biblical author just was, you know, it was just so over the top, but it actually literally says that. I mean, here he, you know, I'm sick of these people, God. I, I, you know, and, and it's hard. It's hard to be criticized, right? And that's part of the role of a leader. If you don't want to be criticized, don't be a leader. Just be a follower. But wherever you're leading, you're going to be criticized. So if you're a mom or a dad and you're leading at home and you've got teenage kids, you're going to be criticized. You are the meanest dad in the world. I can't believe you are, so, you are so much meaner than all the other moms. I mean, this is just going to happen. If you're going to be a parent, you're going to be criticized, right? 
I think about the Sunday school or the school teachers that I know at Church of the Resurrection and how many of them have said to me, you know, I love working with children, but I can't stand their parents. They come in and they tell me, you know, all the things I'm doing wrong as a teacher and if I would just do it this way and, you know, I just, and every year, X number of those teachers quit because they're just tired of the criticism, right? And we all get that. I mean, Glenn's going to get letters from people. I'm going to, you know, I get letters from people every, every week, people who are upset about something I did or something I said and Everybody is criticized. I remember a woman came to me about 15 years ago in my office, and she was flustered, and she, she said, Pastor Adam, I just need to tell you, I need to tell somebody this. I am so sick of my husband, and I am so sick of my kids, and I have packed my bags, and I left a note sitting on the island in our kitchen, and it just said, you are the most ungrateful people I have ever known. I am leaving. Don't come looking for me. <laughs> And she literally had her bags packed. And we sat down, I talked her off the ledge. I said, look, I know, this is good. Maybe they should find the letter, but you ought to go back tonight, you know? And, <laughs> and I saw her just last Sunday for uh, communion. I served her communion, and after worship, I just had to smile. She was showing, her, showing me her grandbaby, and her daughter had grown up to be this beautiful young woman who now knows what it's like to have children who are complaining and grumbling all the time and totally ungrateful. Here's the thing, the people who make a difference in the world they get criticized a lot, they just don't give up. Most people give up, they just don't give up. I was thinking about the presidents, and you know, the, the, the Gallup poll ratings or whatever the presidential approval ratings are, whoever does that poll, over the last 60 or 70 years, I was looking to see who was the highest ranked president. Do you have an idea who the president with the overall, across the course of their entire uh, presidency was the highest approval rating? Yeah, shout it out if you think you know. Reagan, Reagan? okay, no it wasn't Reagan. Uh, John Kennedy. Uh, of course, he only was president for three years, but 70% approval rating across the course of his presidency. Dwight Eisenhower was second with 65%, and Ronald Reagan was third with 55%. Now, I want you to think about this. These are people who are the highest rated presidents by approval of the United States uh, citizens. And uh, for Kennedy, 30% of the people disapproved of the job he was doing and complained and grumbled. Uh, for Dwight Eisenhower, it was 35%. And for Ronald Reagan, it was a striking 45% of the people thought he was doing a terrible job. You're going to be finding people will grumble, and you still press on. By the way, one of the questions you want to ask is, am I going to be one of the grumblers? Or am I going to be one of the people who says, you know what, I'm willing to try something new. If God is calling us to do that, I trust my leader or my leaders. By the way, one, one last example of this that I love, Don Robinson and Gutsum Borglum. I don't know if you know those names, but everybody across the country knew them back in the first half of the 20th century. They had this harebrained idea of blowing up a mountain and turning it into a, into a uh, sculptor. And, uh, and they had this picture of what it was going to look like. It was going to have the faces of four presidents. And every environmental group thought this was the dumbest idea in the world. You're going to tear apart a mountain to create this? And the people in South Dakota thought it was a terrible idea. And across the country, they were lampooned on the front page of the newspapers. What a stupid idea. But they refused to give up. Like the Energizer Bunny, they just kept going. And eventually, they raised the money, and they did it. And do you know the single biggest attraction to the state of South Dakota today is Mount Rushmore, right? But it required people who were willing to say, I don't care how many people think this is stupid. I think this is what we're supposed to do. Glenn, I know you're going to be one of those kind of leaders, and I hope and pray that you're going to be those kind of leaders, because those are the kind of leaders that change the world. All right, so the last thing I want to mention is in Numbers 13, the Israelites had been free for two years from slavery. 
they are parked on the edge of the promised land. It was only two years to get to the promised land. They didn't even take that long. It would have just taken them a few months, but they stayed at Mount Sinai for, for almost two years. So they've made their way to uh, Kadesh Barnea, which is just south of the promised land. Actually, it's, it's actually inside the border of modern-day Israel today. And, uh, and they arrive there, and they send spies into the, into the promised land. You remember this story? How they send 12 spies, and they go into the promised land, and they, and they look around, and they bring back fruit, and they're, and they're spying it out, and they come back. And, uh, well, here, here was the command that was given to Moses. Uh, uh, God gave to Moses, send out men to explore the land of Canaan, which I'm giving to the Israelites. They spend 40 days there, and this is what the report was from, the, from these uh, spies. We entered the land to which you sent us. And now they're speaking in front of the whole congregation of Israel. We entered the land to which you sent us. It's actually full of milk and honey, just like you said. Yet all the people we saw in the land are huge men. We saw ourselves as grasshoppers. That's how we appear to them. We can't go up against the people because they are stronger than we are. You know how you look in your rearview mirror and you see this thing that says, you know, objects are, what does it say? Closer than they're, they're closer than they appear? Well, when it comes to looking at the future and you're looking at things that are kind of scary, what you need to read is objects seem bigger and scarier than they really are. And when you talk about change, Everything, everything you want to change, all the things you need to do to pursue God's will always seem harder and more difficult than they really are. And you can come up with a thousand excellent excuses as to why not to do it. I want you to notice what happened. The entire community, after hearing this, raised their voice and the people wept that night. So they said to each other, let's pick a different leader and let's go back to Egypt. <laughs> right? And so, Jenny, you might be getting that call from some of your members in a few months. <laughs> and we have a job in the youth ministry or somewhere for you if you decide to... <laughs> But they didn't go back uh, to Egypt. They did remain paralyzed by fear just a few miles from the promised land for 38 years. There's a lot of churches that have been paralyzed by fear remaining a few miles from the promised land for 38 years. And I want to encourage you to not be one of them. To be the kind of people who remember, God led us so far already. God had parted the Red Sea. Jesus came and walked among us. He was raised from the dead. Surely, God, by the power of God, if he's called us to do this, we'll see it through. To be bold and courageous kind of Christians. Now, there's a, uh, there's a saying that we use at Resurrection, and I'm nearly done. There's a saying we use at Resurrection, a, a way of discerning, you know, the right path. Because we come to a place where there's a fork in the road all the time as churches. Every church will come to a fork in the road at least once a year. And some of them are really big forks in the road. And here's what I know is when we come to the fork in the road, there's one path that's hard and difficult, and it makes us a bit sick to our stomach. And there's another path that's easy and safe and convenient and comfortable and won't require a special offering, won't require any hard work, won't require taking any risks. There are these two paths. And which path do you think most churches take? The easy path, the safe path, the convenient path, the path that's not hard or difficult and doesn't make them sick to their stomach. And which path is usually the right path? The hard path, the difficult path, the one that makes us afraid, right? Which is why Jesus said there are two roads. One is easy and wide and broad and it leads to destruction and one is narrow and hard and it leads to life. And it's why Robert Frost said, two roads diverged in a yellow wood, and I took the one less traveled by, and that has made all the difference. This principle we call discernment by nausea. So when you're faced with a fork in the road, whichever path makes you a little sick to your stomach is probably the right path. <laughs> and whichever path, you know, makes people a little afraid is probably the right path. Something I learned a long time ago in a time management course, the old Franklin time management course, I don't remember anything else from the class, but this one thing I remember, the successful person However you define success, 
is willing to do the things an unsuccessful person is unwilling to do. That's just so simple. The successful church is willing to do the things an unsuccessful church is unwilling to do. And I'd remind you this, courage is not the absence of fear. It's doing the right thing even when you're afraid. That's courage. So First Christian Church, you stole one of my best friends and her husband from (laughs) Kansas City. And Glenn, you've come here against my advice. Actually, that's not entirely true. But the question is, what are you gonna do? What are you gonna do with your new senior pastor in service to Jesus Christ? What risks are you willing to take? Are you as a lay people gonna mobilize yourselves and say, you know, our job isn't to wait for him to do all the work, but for him to equip us and call us, and for us to say, here I am, Lord, send me. They'll be grumbling and complaining. I hope and pray you're not the grumblers or complainers. And when you feel and hear the grumbling and complaining, you keep pressing on. And don't let fear paralyze you just a few miles from the promised land. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for the gift and the blessing of life and your love and grace and mercy. Thank you for calling us to take the hard path, the narrow path. Thank you for promising that you'll be with us in the midst of those moments and times when we're afraid. I pray that you would give this congregation the courage to do the right things even when they're afraid. Oh God, I pray that you would anoint their new senior pastor, my friend Glenn Miles, and that you would guide them together to discern your will and vision. Help them to be bold and courageous in this community, willing to change and do the things necessary to reach new generations of people. And help us all together as the body of Christ faithfully serve you in this present age. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you very much.